Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. The May 20 line election campaigns are getting underway and the budget has come and gone. I was just getting ready to sit back and watch the show when I read arguably the most alarming interview of the last year, at least in the Sunday Times business section, Business Times. In it, Chris Barron interviews Jaco Human, the chief executive of the Industrial Gas Users Association of South Africa, and he tells Barron that unless the South African government starts building or causes the start of construction of a liquefied natural gas terminal at Matola, that's the port at Maputo in Mozambique, in the next four months, South Africa's big industrial gas users, its companies like Consol, Ceramic Industries, Ilovo, the sugar company, Mondi, PFG, Nampak, Tronox, ArcelorMittal, South22, the big coal miner among them, could simply, I don't know, go out of business. The problem is that Sassel, a monopoly supplier to local industry for decades, has announced it is going to stop producing gas from its fields, it has them under license from the Mozambican government, in 2026, and has told local gas users it's going to start winding down their supplies from then. Total, the French oil and energy group, has plans to build an LNG terminal in Maputo, but it needs an anchor client first. None of the local industry users are big enough, even though they employ about 100,000 people between them. In effect, Jaco Uman was warning that the only possible anchor for Total would be the South African government, and that would mean directing an ESCOM, let's say, to guarantee Total a takeoff. Sadly, ESCOM right now doesn't run a gas-fired power station, and knowing how this state works, even a highly unlikely decision today would not see a new piece of power kit up and running at least inside eight years, and that's being optimistic. Fortunately, Jaco Human is able to join me today, so uh, welcome to Podcast from the Edge. And Jaco, could I just ask you, in case I read the Business Times interview wrong, have you suddenly been made aware of, a, of the possible demise of all of your members or a large part of their businesses, or has it been a long time coming? What's actually happened? Thanks, Peter, and, and, and thanks for the opportunity to join you uh, with this discussion. Um, so the the... The position we're finding ourselves in is all hinged on this uh, resource called Pande Tamane uh, in Mozambique, which has been supplying South African industry, including Sasol, for the last 20 years. The development of this energy type, if I can put it that way, is 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 has really been anchored on Sasol's own consumption of gas and during the period of 1998 to 2005, the Sassel actually entered into a tripartite-type agreement with the Mozambican government, the South African government, Sassel, of course, as the anchor, the key offtake. And the basis of that agreement was that all this infrastructure would be allowed to be built, all the pipelines, all the connections, um, and also the state funding behind this project uh, at the time would be put in place um, for the benefit of the South African gas market at large. Now, at that stage, lots of heavy industry, uh, the, the members that we represent, were were subjected to the use of heavy fuel oils, coal to gas. It's really sort of archaic type um, energy, energy sources during that time. The onset of gas then really started during that period and it, it, it really 
had a uh, Sasol had certain dispensations from a regulatory perspective uh, for a period of about ten years, um, and during that ten years, all industry then started to adopt gas energy as a, as the main fuel for for production purposes. It was during 2018-2019 when industry became aware of the fact that this resource has got a finite lifespan, you know, and um, it was this lifespan which then spurred us to starting to engage with Sassel to say, listen, how are you going to service the market beyond this lifespan? Um, and also bringing this to the attention of the government. This was during 2018-2019 to say we have problems from about 2024-2026 onwards and we, we better get our ducks in a row to find out solutions for alternatives. So the problem has been in the making for some time. It's not new. The solutions are not new. Um, the solutions that we've proposed um, six, seven years ago are the exact same solutions on the table today. The only difference is now, of course, the problem is real. It, it, it has arrived. And it has arrived on the back of Sassel's final confirmation uh, late last year, where Sassel simply said, well, um, my position is that I cannot supply um, industry any longer with this, with this critical resource. I'm going to pull back gas from KZN, which is a byproduct of my process, and I'm also going to reallocate um, natural gas flowing from Mozambique for my own consumption. So it has been in the making for some time, Peter, and and um, we now have to deal with uh, with a problem. When you, when you say that you, am I just re- just to be sure I'm reading you right? So it was only in twenty say twenty eighteen when you realised that that the gas that you've been using might one day run out or not be available. Correct. So so um, so industry industry has been supplied by 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 Sassel, uh, of course for for the last 20 years have I said and um, it was it was around about seven 2018 about six seven years ago that we that we said to Sassel well what are the alternatives that that we are looking at and we also raised this point with government to say well in the absence of alternatives these are the solutions X Y and Z that we that we need to that we need to start working on the problem is that you know in in, <laughs> in hindsight have we done enough um, probably not, you know, uh, because, you know, the, the, the issue and the structuring of the market in South Africa is such that you, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not conducive to the sudden changes that, that we foresee. So I think, I think it was only until Cecil finally said, well, this is how I'm going to supply the market. Remember, Cecil is the only supplier of gas and industry is looking towards or has been looking to, towards Cecil to, to, to uh, to put these solutions on the table, Sassel themselves have said, um, "I cannot tell you now, but I am looking at the importation alternatives of LNG gas, uh, the use of LNG. We will, if there's a decline, we will share in the in the uh, proportionately in 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 the particular decline, um, whilst we're looking for alternatives, etc. Now, all of that has basically come to a sudden sudden and abrupt." Stop! Uh, you know when Sassel realised that. Jack, how does the gas get here now? 
So gas flows from Panditamani. It comes out of a, a series of wells in the Panditamani uh, area, which is a under license. We call it a PPA license. And Cecil pumps that gas. They process the gas in Mozambique. In other words, they clean it up um, and make it ready for consumption. And they put that in a major pipeline. We call it the Romco pipeline, which is state-owned. Uh, that runs from Panitamani up to Secunda. At Secunda, that particular gas then uh, bypasses the Sassel facilities and gets transported through Sassel's transmission network to, to major off-takers in Gauteng um, and Sasselburg. So also also to maybe distinguish it, it's, it's an important point, is that there is a product called methane-rich gas. It's a different type of gas. And it's simply a byproduct of Sassel's uh, coal coal processes, coal to fuels processes, and that gas gets transported to plants in um, Pumalanga, with uh, the Middleburg Witbank areas, and down the Lily Transnet pipeline to uh, to Secunda. So all all plants, all all offtakers industries in KwaZulu Natal and Pumalanga are reliant on methane-rich gas, the MRG byproduct. Whilst others are reliant on the um, on the natural gas coming from Panditamani, the, the source who, of the decoy. Cecil at one stage was a co-owner in the Romkirk pipeline, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, and Cecil still is, but but there has been some movement in 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 that transaction. So part of the original, let's call it tripartite agreement between the Mozambican government uh, and the the South African government and Cecil was that that major pipeline investment would be underpinned by the ownership Cecil at 50% and the two respective governments at 25% each. Now Cecil has recently, I think it was about two years ago, has divested uh, from that pipeline and um, Sassel owns um, some 20% of that pipeline at the moment, with the two governments owning 40% each. So it essentially has been underpinned by by government, you know, to bring that gas into the country all along. So the infrastructure, mm-hmm. the, is it, you could still use the pipeline, I presume, but what, you, what you're saying is that what's required now is a landing terminal for for other gas, for new gas, um, in in correct. So, so, so you need to distinguish between the infrastructure, which is the the pipeline portion at the moment, and the molecule. You know, the molecule, the gas molecule that 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 is yeah. being consumed ultimately. So, what what we need to add to that is a very critical piece of import infrastructure. To bring in an alternative source of gas, which is imported gas or, or liquefied natural gas (LNG), you know, as 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 and we that could be imported from anywhere. Of course, so so you know, we we international oil companies, the top ones that that jumps to mind, of course, Total Energy, the French international oil company, ExxonMobil, Shell, BP. These companies all manage global portfolios which ship LNG around the world, and and it 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 it, it is a. I always refer to it as the new oil trade. Right? It, it it is a relatively new energy source that is being shipped around the world. Uh, there are global indices, pricing indices around it, supply and demand driven, etc. So it the the availability of LNG is not the issue here. It is it is the infrastructure to land it in South Africa, 
that piece, which is absolutely I remember critical. a report maybe one or two years ago, I think done by the National Business Institute, the NBI. Um, you probably were part of that, um, which talked about precisely this, about importing gas through terminals in South Africa, not necessarily in Mozambique. Um, and the gas would be delivered in these rather strange-looking ships which contain gas with those big sort of bulbous um, sort of half half um, spheres. And and what what, hap- what hap- was that simply part of the debate or was that did that did anything come of that? So the the role of gas, the part of the NBI study that was done and, and we, we often referred to that particular document as probably one of the leading positions that South Africa should take in terms of its energy mix. There's a lot of debate going on around the role of gas in a in a, in a decarbonizing yeah. world, um, renewable energy, where should we generate our power from, what should we generate our power from, etc. Um, and it is true. I mean, we as industry had a huge uh, input into that particular document. And, and basically what it said is that there is a significant role for gas energy in the South African industrial complex, but also in the gas-to-power complex. We need a certain amount of gas in order to provide electricity energy um, to stabilize our, our load-shedding position that we're in. So the, the debate around the need for gas in our energy mix has by and large, in my opinion, been settled. There's, um, there was quite a heated period around, you know, how much gas, where should we get it yeah. from, etc. But I think in the in, in in society right now, whether it's academic or or, or otherwise, even in the policy space, um, there is a realization that gas energy is required in a in a energy transition space. The problem is is that and and, and we find it strange is that we haven't moved on it. You know, um, from a from a government policy perspective, um, we see certain movements in the gas to power space. The IRP, the Integrated Resource Plan 2023, has now actually put a lot of reliance on gas to power energy. We're talking here about seven or eight gigawatts in the coming coming period that we need to to bolster our our electricity on, coupled with renewables, um, but we are short of infrastructure. So the best laid plans are currently suffering from this this lack of 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 uh, of, of, of of infrastructure to receive gas. Um, so meanwhile, industry is heavily reliant on any of these particular outcomes. And we have from the onset said to government, your gas to power decisions and policy positions need to be very specific to complement uh, the industrial yeah. use of energy. And of course, de-risk those particular infrastructure requirements, so that so that all of it can, could be sort of jointly benefit out of out of the minimum amount of infrastructure that we need to to mitigate our, our gas energy risks. Just to put it more simply, perhaps uh, the government does talk about gas, but it talks about gas as a source of as a source of power for electricity. You're talking about gas for heat. I presume in your in industrial processes, is that right? Correct. So, so you know, we we often say that 
that um, gas energy is not electricity and and vice versa. You know, there is a definitive requirement for industrial use of gas. We're talking here about flames, you know, to run our processes. It's not there to run to run a turbine to generate electricity. The the what has happened over the last couple of years has become this significant focus on gas to power developments and the debates and the RMI for P, yeah. the car power ships and everything yeah. that went with that. Meanwhile, there's an industry that needs a flame and it needs a gas molecule for chemical for chemical processes. And and um that that is a very important distinction when you start looking at integrated energy plans. Yeah. So, so just sort of, you know, the 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 twenty nineteen um, IRP integrated resource plan was interesting because it reduced the amount of gas required to almost nothing. I think it was one thousand megawatts um, by this year, which is obviously not going to happen, um, and another three thousand by the year twenty twenty seven, and that's obviously not going to happen either. Um, in, uh, in the time frame, and the new IRP, which has not yet been finalised, um, that goes up to, I think, about four thousand three hundred megawatts. But they're still not talking about industrial gas, are they? They're just simply talking about electricity. Um, and your problem is that is that you are in in a way a kind of not a byproduct, but a by industry of what the gas supply might be able to do. Just give us an example, for instance, some, um, I mentioned some of the clients, um, Consol, Logo, Mondi, Nampak, ArcelorMittal. What do they use gas to do? What products do we make that we might not be able to make anymore if there was no gas? So let's start, uh, it, it's cross-sectoral, really. I mean, um, so so they are very well-known heavy manufacturers that are reliant on gas energy. Now, let's start with the steel sector. I mean, the the gas is used to yep. melt steel, you know, and, and to melt to melt raw materials into steel products. You know, for, and from there, you have flat steel, you have bar, you have all these kind of products. If I go more something which is perhaps closer to, to us as consumers, we are, we are talking here, for example, glass packaging. So every beverage we consume, every um, wine bottle we open has been made with the use of um, gas energy. Similarly, if you go into the um, uh, uh, flat glass industry, the building glass that we use to, 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 to yeah. use as windows, the auto industry, all the, all the, um, the, the auto industry is heavily dependent on the 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 auto glass or windscreens as we call it and you know to use to use heat to melt raw materials brick making very simple example we've got to bake bricks and also in the baking process we 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 have to bake bread you know there's even um significant bread yeah. baking of gas at the moment now the problem is is that these you know the tiles we use for example to tile our bathrooms you know all all, all these things are are, are used to, to, you know, gas is used to make these kind of products. The problem is is that gas is used in so much quantities that 
of course, there are other energy types available, but the, the quantum that we're talking about here renders it impractical to implement any other alternatives at this particular point in time. We cannot simply use and move to use these products or to, to bring in oil, for example, heavy fuel oil to run our furnaces, simply because the furnaces are, number one, not designed for it. And the amount of furnace oils that we would use to displace gas is simply not possible to deliver, physically you, you, not you possible say, to you deliver. You say in the, in the interview that you have a requirement in South Africa for about 50, what they call a petajoule of gas. Um, but 50 petajoules of gas isn't enough to make building a, a terminal um, commercially viable for Total. So they would need about 100. So you need to roughly, you've got to find somebody else to take 50 petajoules, uh, uh, possibly to do something different, to make electricity with. Just give us quickly an idea of what a petajoule looks like. You know, it's a, it's easy with oil because you could say, well, at 25 Olympic swimming pools, what, how, do, how big is a petajoule? So, so, so this is a nub of the matter. So, so industry is saying, well, I need 50 petajoules in order to function. That is not enough for infrastructure development. We know that the state or the government has got a poli policy position on gas to power. It will be fantastic if we could put these two pots of gas together and go to the infrastructure developers and say, look, South Africa has actually got a demand for 100 petajoules. It makes sense to proceed. Now, to, to put it in perspective, you know, if you go to your gas supplier or you use gas cylinders at your, at your home, um, you get a 19 kilogram gas cylinder, which is which is about a meter tall, and that 19 kilogram cylinder is roughly one gigajoule of energy or one gigajoule of gas energy for LPG or for natural gas for that matter. So, 50 petajoules actually equates to 50 million of those cylinders, roughly. That that is that is required for industry. We need to add another 50 million of those cylinders to to make it happen uh, the, the, on, on the structure development side. So it is a significant amount of energy um, being used. I mean, uh, personally, at, at, at our home, you know, we use a 19-kilogram cylinder every two years, yeah. you know, uh, for cooking. So so it, it, is, it is a significant amount of energy, but that sort of puts it in sort of yeah. practical terms, you know, what, what, what no, we are referring to. No, that's very helpful because, because – you know, I guess the question is, you're not going to get a decision out of the government um, on 50 petajoules worth of uh, gas to power, gas to electricity decision in the next four months. But you're saying unless work starts on this terminal in the next four months, you might be left high and dry. Industry at the moment is working flat out to be able to commit to its 40 or 50 petajoule requirement. Um, and it is in talks with the international oil companies, the infrastructure developers, the pipeline uh, transport service providers, the ROMCO that we refer to, Transnets, the Sassels, and so on and so forth. What is missing, of course, and you are quite right, I don't think South Africa or the South African government will be in a position to commit to another 50 petajoules because those projects that we refer to, mainly the power generation projects, aren't, aren't real yet. And But they will come to fruition. The question is, we just don't know. Well, the, the point is, we just don't know when. However, 
we think, and this is also an ask from government at the moment, is please, number one, give an indication on where you want to put these gas-to-power facilities because where you place them makes a difference to, of course, the 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 the, um, the demand through the Matola terminal, yeah. for example. Or secondly, in any other country, the government would step up and say, I see here's a problem. I can actually provide the sovereign guarantees in, to enable the development of these projects because I have faith in the industrial offtake for gas and I've got faith in my own gas-to-power plans. So that is also a mechanism with which the government can, can proceed, and it could do that with speed. Maybe not necessarily conclude the construction or the, the final investment decisions on gas-to-power, etc., but it can, if it can give an indication of where, in other words, at least switch on yep. the landing lights, or alternatively provide the financial guarantees to underwrite some of these uh, based on the confidence it has in the its its own economy and 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 future decisions that are around power, then uh, we can proceed um, immediately. Well, one of the problems surely that you face is that is that the gas to power um, debate, as it were, is being led by um, the Department of Minerals and Energy uh, Minister Greta Mantasha, and he he has his own view of gas. He's a very big fan of gas, as you know, and he. Um, in the new uh, IRP has increased the amount of gas that he wants to um, that he wants to use but but he's only interested in making electricity out of that he doesn't care about whether we can make um, car windshields or beer bottles or wine bottles um, or steel for that matter that's Ibrahim uh, Patel's problem in the Department of um, Trade and Industry and, and Competition so who do you speak to in government? When you say government, who do you write your letters to? Who do you have your meetings with? Yeah. So so there is a process and, and, and I mean what, what, what you're highlighting is, is is true. I mean this is this is where we need to elevate the discussion or the conversation to say, listen, there is an industrial play here with with severe implications if we don't play this right. Now at the moment we party to a process led by the DTIC which actually puts all of these key stakeholders in one room. I mean, you, we're talking about the DMRE, we're talking about ESCOM, we're talking about uh, Iguasa, our, our industry, and 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 uh, some some finance finance institutions like the IDC and so on and so forth. the the other The other part of the conversation is directly um, uh, sort of with the with the DMRE, which certainly holds the key. And you're quite right. From an energy perspective, if you think about the ambitions of the Central Energy Fund, the Central Energy Fund, perhaps through Petro SA, is has the ambition to to become a gas player or a gas trader in South Africa, um, to potentially supply gas to power projects and and other state state organs. What we're saying is we've got to put these two pieces of the puzzle together because the state on its own, with regards to fifty petajoules, are in exactly the same position. As industry, we don't have sufficient volumes, um, respectively. So we need to look at this um, jointly, and um, those conversations are directed to to the Central Energy Fund and 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 the DTIC at the moment. And how are they being received? I mean, are you being listened to with you know uh, with intent? I mean, is the, does the government understand how perilous the predicament 
is that you're in, do you think? We hope so. Um, we don't have a clear indication of yet uh, of, of, of where the government wants to take this. Um, but we hope to have some, some, some indication or some form of response to this uh, in due course. It is needed. It is definitely needed. We are in conversation also with the, with the Ministry of Electricity, um, Minister Ramachopa, around the role of ESCOM in all of this. ESCOM also has a significant role to play around, around future electricity procurement through gas. So, so I hope that the, 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 the current issues, which is being well received by the media, um, also within our conversations with government, uh, the, the seriousness of this is, is well understood. The speed at which we need to move uh, is clear. And, and um, we, we hope that, that some form of position statement or direction statement would, would, would be forthcoming in the next couple of weeks. That's, I mean, that sounds a little optimistic. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not as close to the discussions as you are. I mean, when, you know, when, I, when, when Montasha talks about gas, um, I understand that there's a wider debate about converting some of ESCOM's coal plants to, 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 from coal to gas, um, which would be a, an absolutely huge undertaking. Um, uh, but he seems to initially be focusing on the, um, you know, the, the, the CCGT, the closed cycle gas turbines that we use for peaking when you know, when the coal-fired plants aren't functioning properly. So these are Ankalif in Saldana, Kharikwa, Mossel Bay, uh, Didisa, I think it's called, in Kukhanya, P.E. Um, and there's one called Avon, just outside Durban. They're miles away from you, these these plants. I mean, they aren't, you know, converting, even converting those to gas isn't going to help you, is it? So so you're right. Ankalif, Kukha, Marshall Bay, whatever happens there has got no bearing on this particular crisis simply because these markets are physically disconnected. There's, there's no interconnecting pipelines and things that where if you know something here happens, we have a solution at, at, at another point. What is important here is that we take a position on the new gas to power. Um, I don't think the notion of, and that's my personal view, I don't think the notion of coal plant conversions is going to be quick. I don't think it's it's clear yet how that will play out, by when, um, and what that impact will be yeah. on gas demand. The clearest indication that we have at the moment is is the RFP 2023, the current independent power producer Exactly. The IRP, the RFPs that are out for two gigawatts yeah. of gas to power at the moment. So those are the clearest indications that we have around new gas to power. And and um, we believe that the two gigawatts, that is, uh, we simply saying it would make logical sense if two or at least one would be placed on the current system, which is going to unlock this uh, this um, this problem for us, yeah. the Romco system. So can I also just ask you a little bit about gas? I mean, the, the gas debate, even though there are requests for proposals out, gas debate isn't over yet, yeah, is it? No, and, 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 and I think it shouldn't be over. You know, I, I, I think um, 
if you look, and, and, and again, I'm talking from yeah. an industrial perspective, each and every industrial user of energy has got a certain basket of energy that it uses. It uses ESCOM, which is generally, uh, it's, it's coal-based. So from a, from a point-scoring perspective, a carbon point-scoring perspective, that, that doesn't make the cut. Um, fortunately, there is a significant portion of gas energy with, within these mix. And then you, you are, to a lesser extent, exposed to diesel fuels and so on and so forth. If you look at carefully at the energy policies or energy strategies of these corporates, they all have to decarbonize and they need to decarbonize. The significant pathway to that requires an expansion on the renewable energy significantly, so, but gas energy as well. You need that gas energy. Gas energy to generate either your own power or use, yep. you know, move away from from Eskom coal-based electricity. So, from an industry perspective, if you look at the broad strategies, renewables and gas energy play a significant role. I don't think it's different at a country level. the The transition, the transition from coal-based electricity to renewables, um. There is no, there, there is not a quick a, a, a quick transition. Put it that way, as purely from a practical perspective, we we see a balance between gas energy and the renewables at least for the next fifteen or twenty years before renewable energies and the technologies associated with that take off. Talking hydrogen, talking all these other options and things that may come about in the future. But gas energy, at least for the next decade in South Africa, has to play a, a much more significant role. In, in, in this overall transition. And and this is where we actually align with the ministry, you know, to say, well, it, it, it is in a practical it is a practical approach. But in fact, if you ask me again at a personal level, do we need need more gas to power? I would argue yes. Because the coal fleets are coming off perhaps quicker than we would like to. Although although the plan is to now delay them uh, to de- delay the decommissioning of, of coal plants as well. I mean, one of the problems, obviously, is is that gas is still a fossil fuel. Um, uh, sooner or later, the markets that we export to um, uh, are going to to want our carbon footprint to be much lower. The Europeans are saying that on some products, including anything ArcelorMittal might make steel, um, that it's going to impose a carbon border tax from 2030 isn't there isn't there a danger you know you talk about this this transition technology gas fired lasting 15 20 years isn't it that's a that's an enormously short period of time for a whole new infrastructure couldn't the, could we not end up isn't there a danger that you end up with a whole lot of very expensive but sort of stranded assets that Technology simply, you know, sweeps by and makes redundant. Um, you know, in 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 very few years, we, you might start building gas-fired power plants and infrastructure and and import infrastructure. Now you'd finish it in about twenty twenty thirty or twenty eight twenty nine, whenever, um, and you'd have maybe ten years use out of it before it became completely redundant. So, one of 
sort of answer that question with another question. And, and, and the one is, you know, when, when will South Africa be 100% reliant on renewable energy or clean energy? We don't necessarily have significant hydro resources. We, um, we, we still way behind in terms of our the, reaching our renewable energy yeah. potential. And that's purely a function of grid capacities and imbalances and so on. Um, nothing to do with availability of sun and wind. So you you got to ask yourself first that question is when 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 will yeah when can we say in future we'll we will be hundred percent reliant on reliable renewable energy? Personally, I think it's still some way off. Is it fifteen years minimum? I would say. Is it more twenty years, thirty years? I would say yes. What do we do in the interim? How do we bank projects to provide us with the energy security and the economic, economic growth that we need in the country, right? So, so it, it is an absolute balancing act, Peter. And 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 I think, I think gas has that role to play. Is there a window, twenty, thirty years? Yes. Um, is it sufficient to in, embark on infrastructure projects at this point in time? Yes. If you look at what the rest of the world is doing. Gas is growing in, in 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 demand, probably until about 2030, around that point, when it will become the growth will level out. So there's still a significant amount of gas being demanded around the world globally, you know. And I don't think South Africa should be any different um, in 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 its approach. You know, we need we need cleaner fossil fuel. Do we want to get away from fossil fuel? Absolutely. You know, it it it, it is in all our interest. In the long term, but there's no single industry around the world that can actually say, "Well, we 100% clean energy based." I think it's clear, I may be wrong, that certainly in Europe, that the you know the Russian invasion of Ukraine has in, involved a complete rethink about their dependence on on gas, and um, you know something of a flight away from gas. Uh, if you look at the the growth of renewable energy in in Europe it's far outstrips in terms of speed, proportionally, far outstrips anything that we're doing. And I just wonder whether, and it doesn't help your problem. And I, I, I understand that, but you know, our our our, our long term problem is that we become a sort of an industrial outcast because we haven't kept up. So our cars are going to be dirty. Our our textiles are going to be dirty. Our food's going to be. Um, you know, it's going to be irrigated using dirty electricity, whether it's whether it's coal or whether it's gas. And I just wonder whether we are aware of the potential long-term consequences of not moving much faster than we are, uh, despite all the constraints. This is why we see your point is absolutely valid, but it's also why we see this increase in gas demand in South Africa, a demand that far outstrips supply. And it is a function of exactly what you've mentioned. Our products need to become, our export products need to become clean, energy-based. Um, and what it means is that we need to move away from coal. In our view, there's no practical way of moving away from coal straight yeah. into, into no, renewable energy. Is, can I ask you, you know, okay, let's assume that you, you need to run and your your your, your uh, members need to basically you're running furnaces, right? You, you you're melting raw materials to make direct heating. We, yeah. we call it direct right. heating. Yes. Are there, yes. And I was reading something um, 
recently, and I've I've desperately tried to find it ahead of this interview, and I can't. I think it might have been in the New Scientist, but there's a there's a great debate, isn't there, about new forms of of heating, of industrial heating, um, that would you know that would that would not require fossil fuels to be burned, whatever they may be. Um, and do we are we looking at any uh, you know in, in the longer term? Do we know what those technologies are, and do we are we interested, and in, are we putting any research and development into them? So, so these these types probably refer to things like modular nuclear. That's one of them as an alternative. In other words, where you've got small nuclear plants next to next to big yeah. factories, for example, or or the other one which is very topical at the moment yeah. is, is hydrogen. Now. These are all future energy types, and I'm not. I'm, I'm parking renewable yeah, energy on yeah. the side for now, right? So I think storage storage is probably going to be a technology, and 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 based on a cost curve and availability, etc., which which uh, linked to to renewables would play a significant role in providing that base load of energy requirement for direct heating and and so on and so forth. So I would say between battery storage technology, hydrogen, and possibly modular nuclear, these could well be the future solutions. But each of those are, maybe with the exception of battery storage, but if you take modular nuclear or hydrogen, are far from industrial scale type applications. Will it come in future? Yes. Will it come in 20 years? I firmly believe so. Battery storage is an interesting one because those technologies are are are, are they're marching real. ahead fast and furiously. We see massive, yeah, they're real. The problem is we in, in South Africa we we don't have the balanced grid to move renewable energies from where it's generated to to yeah. where it's needed, and that fortunately is a black hole almost which we need to fill, and that's going to take time. We we're thinking here about the. Eskom Transmission Company being being uh, being established yep. recently, um, and that is their role is to balance out all of this. But it won't happen in the next five or ten or fifteen years. You know, it'll take time to play out. Jacko, uh, just talk to me about the sort of industrial consequences of of your members um, running out of gas after twenty twenty six. What happens? What does the industrial landscape in this country look like? It is actually already playing out at the moment. We we're aware of numerous companies right now that has put all fixed capital investments on hold until this gas picture becomes clearer over the next couple of months. I wouldn't like to if you if you if you uh, if you would indulge me. So so some of these companies are saying, hang on, I, I, I cannot make an investment on a product line replacement or an expansion project. That is already playing out, and it does not hold well, of course, for the medium-term outlook for, for manufacturing. Now, so that's the reality already playing out. If we move forward and you look at the gas cliff, on the 30th of June, there will be gas. On the 1st of July, 2026, there will be no gas. We would probably see a significant stoppage in production, downscaling, and with the necessary adjustments to employment and everything else that goes with that. So this is real because 
technically, technically, like we said earlier, there is industry is so entrenched on on technically reliant and entrenched and designed around the use of gas energy. You cannot simply switch a furnace or an oven to run from gas to well. A furnace, for example, is designed to run for 10, 12 years at a time, and it runs continuously. Um, so there are technical limitations in terms of switching. We have problems in, we touched on it earlier, we have problems in finding alternatives because the bulk of the energy required is, is it's simply not feasible to replace it with something else. You know, we cannot use gas cylinders. We cannot use uh, diesel fuel. It's way too expensive, for example. And, and, and there's not enough diesel going around, neither oil, you know, heavy fuel oil for that. So this is the risk to us. Industry at the moment, um, in KZN, if you, if you follow the Lily pipeline from Sakuna, the Transnet pipeline, you're talking about towns like Newcastle, um, Empangeni, Richards Bay, Durban, all, all industries along these, these, these towns will be, will be impacted by it. Richards Bay in particular, there you have large paper manufacturing companies, aluminium smelters, and so on and so forth. So clearly, um, if all of this plays out, worst case, uh, the 30th, the 30th of June would, would be problematic moving into the next, the following day. And similar with, with, um, with the uh, with the with the plants and factories up north, you know, in Harting and Johannesburg. So these adjustments will have to take place, and we will simply see a decline in the manufacturing output. You know, some of some of our very large gas users, this issue that we're touching on, they have indicated to us that this is the single biggest risk to operating in South Africa today is this gas issue, and it's real, you know. And uh, so the impacts are are real and, and, and significant simply because we, we, you know, we have to find a, a gas energy um, alternative. I mean, you, what you're saying basically is that we are 20, 24, 30 months away from an industrial catastrophe. Indeed. That's the reality. Yeah. Well, um, it doesn't uh, fill one with, um, with confidence for the future. You know, I've had a look at both of the performance agreements uh, with President Ramaphosa that have been signed by um, the Minister of Trade, Industry and Competition and the Minister of, Minister of Mineral Resources. None of them mention gas um, at all in any, in, in any part of the agreement. So particularly, you know, particularly in your area where you've asked for the production of a master plan for gas, which would require both Ebrahim Patel at the DTRC and Greta Mantashe at uh, Minerals and Energy to sit down and produce a master plan together, which is almost um, laughable, in a way. Yeah, we still don't have we still don't have a a real master plan for the introduction of electric vehicle manufacture in this country. It's coming, I know, soon, but it's really late. The the you know bringing it back to energy, I mean. We don't have an integrated energy plan yeah. for South Africa, something which is prescribed in law. It'll be done by the end of March. And we, we, an integrated energy plan talks to the integrated plans regarding 
gas energy, electricity, liquid fuels, all, 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 all other energy types. Um, and the IRP is the only real plan we have on a particular energy type for South Africa, and that speaks to electricity yeah. only. Um, the gas master plan, you know, we're a country that is more or less 20 years old with regards to the use of gas energy, and, and we've never had a plan. You know. um, meanwhile, industry is so dependent on all of this, and and, 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 and that we, we've sat with government for the last three, four years in panel beating a document, a gas master plan, we had a look at certain drafts together with government, uh, constructive type discussions. Um, we highlighted the point that if we don't address these short-term challenges, whatever plan is there is purely of academical importance. You know, it's it, it's nice read. Yeah. Yeah, and um, but but yet we we haven't seen the gas plan. Um, we've seen drafts. We we. Uh, We've highlighted the shortcomings in those drafts. We had the opportunity to do so, um, but oddly enough, we, uh, despite despite the crisis, we we still don't have a particular position as a you know from a government level on gas. It's just remarkable, and and it doesn't only stop. It it, it is rather remarkable. It also doesn't stop only at industrial use of energy. We're talking here about upstream yeah. potential. You know, if you look at the potential upstream for gas exploration in South Africa, it is significant. If you see how our neighboring countries are actually embarking on becoming global gas hubs, and I'm talking about Mozambique and I'm talking about Namibia on the West Coast, they are advancing at the rate of knots in terms of upstream developments, potential, and this is to supply gas energy to the world. We have the same potential. Um, so it, 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 it really it, it really encapsulates this whole value chain for gas. You know, it includes upstream developments, midstream type infrastructure developments, and of course the downstream access to it. There's a direct correlation between gas energy access and, and industrialization. You know, it, it, it simply goes together. For the moment. For the next 15, 20 years, yes. Jacko, Yuman, thank you very much for joining me. I'm going to leave it there and let, let this sort of threat of June 1 or July 1, 2026, hang in the air. Hope the right people hear you, hear this podcast, listen to what you're saying. Um, thank you so much for joining me and, and for being so open and candid about the the problem. And thank you too for listening. Uh, really much appreciated. And I'll be back next week with another edition of Podcast from the Edge. Bye-bye. Take care.